Okay. It's been a week since the election. Anything I say will be immediately dated because people's emotions are changing so quickly. So I'm going to use this episode to document election day and the day after. Because I think in the future, we'll forget to some extent just how shocking it was when Trump won. This time last week, I was getting on a plane to San Antonio with my colleague, Isis Madrid. I thought Latino voters would be really key in this election. And however the demographic split, Republican and Democrat, it would reveal the diversity of American Latinos and how problematic it is to think of them as one group. And I thought San Antonio would be a good place to tell that story. To be honest, looking back now, I never really took the possibility of Trump winning seriously. When it happened, I realized the story was much larger than just Latino diversity. It was about overall American diversity and how much people in the U.S. don't know about each other. Maybe because there are so many American identities now that we have a hard time understanding where other people are coming from. The election was a line in the sand, and people who chose a side and stood with Clinton were shocked at the number of people opposite them. They had no idea so many people would vote for a guy who'd, for example, brag about committing sexual assault. And now we're in the moment when people in the U.S. decide how to react. It's one of those formative moments, I think, that Americans all experience together, like 9-11, and then it changes people in individual ways. So this episode will end with one of the young activists and organizers who are grieving, but also planning and hardening their resolve to fight. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. The clouds and fog were thick when we landed at Dallas the night before Election Day. The next flight to San Antonio was delayed for hours. So we were sitting for a while in the waiting area in the airport. The Dallas airport was familiar for ISIS. She went through it a lot when she lived in San Antonio for a few years in her early 20s. Before moving here, I had only had the experience of being a Latina surrounded by, I guess, white people, like Irish-Americans, Italian-Americans in New England. Like, that's the culture. So that was, you know, it was me and my parents and, like, maybe some other Colombians that were my family. Um, and then, But other than that, it was, like, you know, just totally, like, you know, Spice Girls and, like, apple pie, whatever. So moving to San Antonio, it was the first time I'd ever lived somewhere that was, like, primarily Latino. And I was shocked at, which is kind of sad in retrospect that I was shocked at, you know, the diversity among the Latino people. You know, there are white Latinos, there are black Latinos, there are conservative Latinos, there are, you know, neoliberal Latinos, there are progressive Latinos, there are poor Latinos, there are very rich Latinos, there are all kinds of Latinos, and I think I always thought all Latinos were like my parents, which is crazy. I mean, it's just, it's the perfect place for telling the story of Latinos aren't one thing. Isis made sure to also mention that San Antonio was also the perfect place to eat breakfast tacos. People call them burritos in some parts of the country, but we call them breakfast tacos. So it worked out that we met George Antuna at Taco Garage. He's the chairman of the Hispanic Republicans of Texas Political Action Committee. I did vote for Trump, yes. And I voted for Trump. For me, it was the economy component. My parents were small business owners. Never once, not once, did they 
rely on government for anything. For the most part, they voted for the Latino. And the most part, the Latino was Democrat, you know. I noticed that they were comfortable voting for a Sanchez, but not a Smith. That's why I think HRT was formed, is because we need to give them an option to vote for a Latino Republican. When you think about it, Hispanics do embrace a lot of the Republican ideology, especially in Texas. Uh, a lot of Latinos have really, really embrace the Second Amendment. They're very religious, and they embrace a strong culture of life when it comes to pro-life. And at the end of the day, we need to have another true option for Latinos within the political spectrum. You know, there's other racial groups in the country that only align themselves with one party, and that one party takes their vote for granted, and the other one doesn't pay attention to them. You never want to be like that. You want both parties courting you at all times. It sounds like those Latinos, when Trump is talking about, you know, the famous quote, rapists, and coming <clears throat> across the border, criminals coming across the border, it sounds like they don't identify. They do not. They do not. They don't identify with them. Why? Because we're Americans. Okay, I'm an American. I'm not a Mexican. I just happen to have Mexican descent. That's how they think. Thank you. In my opinion, if Vice President Biden was a candidate on the Democrat side, he'd be way ahead of Trump and not just four or five points as Hillary Clinton is right now. There's a lot of uh, Latinos that don't necessarily like her. And if they're voting for her, they're really just voting against uh, uh, Donald Trump. What specifically don't they like about her? Well, they come from a political class in Mexico or other parts of Latin America. La clase política, the political class of Mexico, the locals see them as they have everything and they're making my life not progress economically. And so when they come here, they don't want a political class. That's the last thing they want. Latinos in Texas actually um, are very, very different uh, because of how history played out in their lives. And Texas history is complicated. Once home to many indigenous cultures, it was colonized by the Spanish in the 1700s. They were joined by Americans in the 1800s, and by the 1830s, it was a volatile situation that escalated into a conflict. You're probably familiar with the phrase, remember the Alamo. That refers to when some people, who may be heroes or villains, there are lots of opinions, they held up in a military compound. That was the Alamo. They made a famous last stand to preserve Texan independence and perished. The Alamo's still there, though, partly at least. What's left is a few crumbling buildings. Isis and I walked through them. We're in a big open plaza next to the Alamo. Yeah, right smack dab in front of the Alamo, which is like the symbol of Texas independence and battle and bravery and the right to bear arms. This is the plaza where I've seen the open carry protest. So it's just like a bunch of big burly dudes walking around with like assault rifles like over their shoulders and it's I mean you've heard about these right like the open carry it's like the right to bear arms in public that's a big thing in Texas and San Antonio. We were talking there in the middle of San Antonio's downtown. Just a few miles away, it felt like a different state, ideologically at least. We visited a Northside grade school co-op with a hippie vibe and a motto to teach in peace through culture. The kids there were holding their own election. Four votes for Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Woo! Bernie! Five votes for Johnson? Yeah! Six votes for Stein. 
Eight votes for Trump. And 54 oh. votes for Hillary. The math and science kids drew a picture to illustrate the vote. It showed a giant woman with a small man at her feet. Teacher Sarah Timmons explained that the size of the candidate showed how many votes they got. They said that the conversion was one centimeter for every vote that they received. So all of the ones with one vote are one centimeter tall, and Hillary Clinton is 54 centimeters tall. So Trump barely comes up to her ankles. Correct, yes. He's only eight centimeters tall. So you might understand why, coming away from that school, I was more convinced than ever that Clinton would win. And then that was just reinforced when I met three millennial activists. So determined to get people to vote for Clinton, it seemed impossible she would lose. Uh, My name is Denise Hernandez, and throughout this election season, I have been an active citizen and watching to make sure how specifically Chicanos, Mexican-American, Latinos are voting. I I have a very strong feeling about the power of the Latino vote and our political power. We were sitting on a bench between the buildings of a high school polling place that happened to be Denise's alma mater. I talked to all three of them at once, so you'll hear H. Drew Galloway in a second. And this is Jonathan David Jones. I was born in Oklahoma, actually, but I did grow up here in Texas. Uh, I grew up in Houston, and then I came to San Antonio on a track scholarship at UTSA. Um, I've been here since, and uh, sort of, sort of, just kind of becoming like just sort of, you know, sort of a de facto leader for the movement of Black Lives. My my main focus is at all times to encourage people from my community, my demographic, to make sure we're always fighting on all fronts. Hi, my name is H. Drew Galloway. That's very mysterious sounding. <laughs> H. Drew. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm the executive director of Move San Antonio. We are a nonpartisan, nonprofit, grassroots organization that focuses on giving young people a voice in politics. This is the first election that our generation equals the baby boomer generation. You know, sort of taking that, harnessing that, and making politicians talk about issues that we care about, like climate change and LGBTQ rights and social equality and, you know, minimum wage and, and you know, racial justice. We, we want to talk about those issues. Okay, so here we go. This big term, racial justice. And the first hypothesis is Hillary's won. Is that what you're thinking about, holding her accountable? The presidential election always leaves us in a unique position. That's Jonathan David again. Understanding that we have have Republican and Democrat. I don't expect much from Republicans. They're pretty cut and dry about kind of where they stand on things. And so we usually hope that the Democratic candidate will do X, Y, Z when it comes to things like social injustice, especially mass incarceration. And they'll talk about it during the campaign process. We watch them back out as we, you know, um, as things move forward. So definitely looking to hold um, Hillary accountable. I would hope to be able to be able to hope, hope to hold uh, Donald Trump accountable if he ends up being president as well. You know, anybody who can address the issue, we just need the issues taken care of. But raise the expectation, you know. With the black community only being roughly 11% of the you know population here in America, a lot of people in my community feel like we've kind of lost our seat at the table. And so it can be kind of discouraging at times. Best we can do is hope that uh, we can hold Hillary accountable because she's talked a big game so far. I hope she lives up to it. So what do you think will happen? This is unified, certain people, but also pushed Latinos apart to a certain extent because they're going in two different directions. So what have you been thinking about what happens tomorrow? 
So I think it's interesting for me because I've seen this shift between, say, for my grandma, for instance. She's very religious, and so her Latino evangelical section has kind of always been Republican with conservative views. And so for her, she actually told me she might vote for Donald Trump. And I said, Grandma, if you love me at all, please don't. And so it's interesting to see that kind of separation versus also my big issue is the conflation of Latinos. You know, we're not all Mexican. We're not all Puerto Rican, Dominican. There's so many different, you know, ethnicities in there that have very different issues. And so I can understand where it's hard for all of us to be represented at once, but at the same time, I really don't appreciate the way in this political season we've all kind of been herded together as one and then targeted as one as well. Are you thinking about, I mean, everyone's going to be talking about reconciliation, right? how we get together and create unity, I guess. I mean, do you have a place in that, do you think? For me, when we start talking about things like unity, if unity comes at the sacrifice of change and progress, then I don't want it. You know, I'm all for the unity talk as long as the unity involves progress, change, and taking care of some of the issues that we specifically have been talking about. Earlier this morning, we were talking to the leader of the Hispanic Republican PAC, And he was saying uh, Latinos, they need to infiltrate Republicans so that Latinos have options between the two parties. I'm going to say, based on history, my kind of thing is, you know, don't believe what people say, don't even believe what they do, but believe the pattern there. And so my personal experience is I don't trust Republicans outright. I don't trust them to protect my interests, not only as a Latina, but as a woman as someone who is lower middle class, as someone who is struggling with debt to have a degree. So, I mean, I can see that argument. I don't necessarily agree with it. If we go down the other hypothesis that, okay, let's say Trump wins, I theorize it would be because of Republican Latinos would push him over the edge. They would make the difference to to give him the election, if he does get the election. I've heard that, and I don't, I've heard that that, I went on a gripe the other day, too, because I've been hearing, you know, if Trump wins, it's because black Americans and Latinos either didn't vote, you know, they didn't vote or some, you know, Latinos did vote for him. And I honestly, I haven't seen that. You know, there are people of color who support him, and that's their own prerogative with their own belief system. But I really haven't seen any large movement for Trump or his rhetoric. Isn't that weird, though? I mean, you're you're sitting in a really red state. Oh, yeah, and we've been dealing with it. I mean, I've been here my whole life. My family has been here since the 1900s. And so, you know, just to see what they've dealt with, for me to be here today and maybe Texas is turning blue or at least purple, it's interesting because, again, we are, in San Antonio specifically, 60% of the population And we still don't see ourselves represented necessarily in city council and our local elections. So this election has involved all of us become our lives to a certain extent. Like, how has it changed you? How will you be different tomorrow because of all this work that you've done? And then it's suddenly being over. Drew, again. It's going to be surreal. Work doesn't end, but I do think I'm going to take a second, take a breath, and really appreciate what's happened this year because I think we have made tremendous strides in San Antonio and it's because of these two and their work and students across San Antonio and young people across the nation. Our generation cares. You said these two. What have you seen them do? Oh, I see Jonathan David constantly at City Hall and I see him speak against 
absolute injustice here in San Antonio. And uh, I see him stand in Travis Park with a megaphone and lead hundreds of people down to City Hall. And it's really inspiring and it makes me push forward with my work. And I see Denise and I see just the incredible change in tone that we've had, that she's created. These two, you know, inspire me to go back to the office every day. So I'm proud to be beside them. The best way that we can bring the country together tomorrow, the rest of this week, the rest of this year, is inviting those voices to the table, pulling up a chair for Denise, pulling up a chair for Jonathan David. Let's sit down, let's have hard conversations, and let's push forward and make change. And so I think that that would be my like parting statement seven minutes after the polls closed. Everyone knows what happened after that. Everybody seems to have their own story of where they were as the election results slowly came in. Hours passed, and Trump still had a strong lead. People who voted for Clinton struggled to shift their worldview as what had once seemed impossible suddenly became inevitable. People who went to sleep before all the results were in woke up to confirmation. President Trump. Clinton had conceded. Isis, my colleague, was in dazed shock, so I didn't make her talk again for this episode. I did talk to one of the moms of the kids in the school we'd gone to the day before, Kat Carey, who happens to be Mexican-American. Her daughter's five. So yesterday, I was at your little girl's school. It was a great school, and they voted overwhelmingly in their election for Clinton. Yes. And then she woke up this morning, and Clinton wasn't president. No. How did she react? I didn't tell her this morning. I, you know, had a rough night, had a rough morning. She actually turned to me and she said, Mommy, Hillary's not the president. I just wanted you to know that, like, Trump won. And it was kind of like she was letting me down, (laughs) like she felt bad. And, you know, she's only five, so I don't think she completely understands what this means. But she's hopeful, so I think I could learn a little something from her and be hopeful and stuff like that. So, Because you're having a hard time keeping going. I am having a hard day today. Today is a hard day because you're there to raise your kids, and so you just think about the world that you're leaving for them. And there's somebody in office right now who inspires other people to hate. I don't want her to grow up in that world. I don't want anybody to have to live in that world. My Aunt Olga was born in Mexico, you know, and she came over here when she was three. My mom was born here in Texas, and you've got him calling the people that I love rapists and murderers, and it's just like, you have no idea what it's like to be poor. You have no idea what it's like to be a minority, you have no idea what it's like to be anything but a very rich, entitled white man who's had everything handed to you, and now you're trying to tell other people, like, who they are and how to, that's just, it's disgusting. It's absolutely infuriating. We need to be louder. We need to be louder, and I think it's funny when people are like, oh, well, you know, you're so aggressive, like, you guys just need to be peaceful, and you can only say so much quietly before you have to start screaming because no one is listening to you. And I think now we just have to fight harder. Does it feel... You've lived other places, right? 
I have lived only in Texas my whole life. Being in San Antonio, Texas, you say Texas to people that aren't from Texas and you think, you know, Republican country. Um, but our city is very a democratic city and I live in a bubble. So it was also shocking because everyone I know, there's a small handful of people that voted for Trump. But like everyone else I know, we're just in this bubble of, you know, of not hatred, I guess you could say. The presidential vote confirmed once again how liberal San Antonio is compared to the rest of the state. The maps from election night show the city as solid blue, surrounded by expanses of red. I went to City Hall to ask the mayor how to heal divisions and make those people in the blue feel safe amid all the red. To get to her, I had to go through more security than I'd ever seen in the city hall. An x-ray machine, metal detector, showing my driver's license to a guard. But maybe I haven't been to enough open carry states. Ivy Taylor is the city's first African-American mayor. Does that say something about the city itself? Yes, I think it says that anything is possible in San Antonio if you're able to work hard. That's what I think it says. But San Antonio, not in San Antonio. Texas. San Antonio. <laughs> I mean, is that a big deal or is it just pretty normal and and you've been experiencing it as, you know, uh, normal? I just experience it as normal. I do believe it's extraordinary, though. I do believe it will have an impact on people's perceptions of, you know, people of color and what they contribute to our communities and, you know, uh, their ability to serve. I didn't aspire to be an elected official. I'm actually an urban planner, a former city employee, so I like to characterize myself as a former disgruntled employee who decided to come back around on the other side, shake things up. I'm here as Ivy. I'm the mayor. I'm focused on San Antonio issues, so I think that makes it somewhat easier for us, you know, as far as the hyper-partisan environment that's been going on. Did you grow up here? Is your family from here? Oh, I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually from Queens. <laughs> Queens, New York. How did you end up here? I came here for a summer job when I was in graduate school, and then I met my husband, who is a local um, native San Antonian, and convinced me to move here via nice diamond ring and a proposal. <laughs> San Antonio went blue. It's surrounded by red, and a lot of people who are, who were Clinton supporters, minorities, people of color, have felt threatened by some of the things that Trump says. So as a mayor of a town like this, how do you make those people feel safe? Well, I've really just been thinking about how we can stay focused on local issues. I really don't know how to broach the conversations, uh, you know, around the national issues, because I think folks are, you know, get, get pretty emotional and have staked out positions. So I, I try to just focus on the things that I know bring us together. Ivy Taylor's response made me wonder if that's how it would be now, if the presidential election would be the thing we wouldn't be able to talk about with extended family at Thanksgiving dinner, a topic that most people decide is just better to avoid. That afternoon, I talked to Denise Hernandez again. She's the millennial Chicana activist. 
We met at a library and talked in one of those group study rooms. After I went home from our interview, I was feeling, I was honestly on a a high. And then I went to my friend's um, election party, whatever. And I honestly sat in a corner by myself the whole time. (laughs) By 11.30, I decided to go home. I was tired. I was just like, "Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I decided I wasn't going to make a final feeling until the votes were counted and everybody was saying it's done. So I tried to sleep when I got back home. I couldn't. Because <laughs> you actually were feeling. I was nervous. I, I compared it. I, I posted on Facebook. I said, I feel like, we you know, when they were projecting Trump's numbers up, I was like, I feel like Frodo when he feels Sauron, you know, like coming back to power. Like that's how I felt. And I was just like, oh my God, I can feel this energy of like, I don't know, negativity, this confused and ignorant energy of what's gonna happen with with a president like this and so I woke up this morning and I checked of course social media and I was like okay so this is where we're at everybody was obviously very upset um everybody I know anyway and I haven't cried yet I know a lot of people have been really emotional and cried and stuff I haven't cried yet I've honestly been thinking of strategy (laughs) I've been trying to think of ways and people that we can reach first and say, we know you're the most vulnerable and we're going to protect you no matter what. You're going through that thought process. You must be like, okay, Republican Senate, Republican Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. It's a straight uh, House, Senate, and presidency. So I feel like people are really anxious and scared because all the progress that we've seemingly made, you know, especially with LGBTQIA rights, DACA has the possibility of being wiped out. Uh, So my grandma is one of my best friends in the whole world. I see her at least twice for lunch. And I'm giving you this context to understand, like, this feeling I had. So if anyone has been there, I bring her to marches. She was at my first planned protest back three years ago, and she walked in heels the whole way. And we were fighting for, you know, black Americans who had been killed by police. She didn't necessarily really fully understand what was going on, but she came to support me. I've had these conversations with her about... Her history, especially here in San Antonio, like you're Mexican-American, remember all the discrimination you faced? Oh yeah, my education. I felt like she really understood. My grandma is also a very devout um, Christian. I'm not sure if it's considered evangelical, but Christian. And that's really the center of her identity that supersedes being brown or being a woman. And she, well, my mom told me that my grandma voted for Trump. So <laughs> I... Uh, I think that if if there's anything that's going to make me cry, it's that. Because I told her, I'm going to cry now. I told her at lunch a few months ago when I was planning the protest, I said, Grandma, if you love me at all, you won't vote for him. (laughs) And I feel like I'm taking it personally because I feel like she didn't, I don't know if she didn't listen to me or if she didn't recognize that maybe she's older and she doesn't have as much time on this earth as I have to deal with. Her reasoning when I talked to her today and I told her I was mad at her was that Pence is a Christian. And I was just like, all right, well, I mean, can't cry over spilled milk, so. Wait, you said you told her you were mad at her? I told her I was mad at her. She said, um, I'm having surgery tomorrow. It's a personal thing, but I'm having surgery tomorrow. And she's like, I want to see you before. And I was just like, you can wait till after. (laughs) And she was like, are you really mad at me? And she was laughing. And I was just like, I don't really think you understand, like, I have to go back into my community and see undocumented folks, see trans people, see Muslims, see black and brown folks who are terrified, literally terrified, 
And I don't know, I feel like a lot of people, there was like 33% of Latinos, um, men, Latino men, and then 26% of Latino women voted for him. And I just don't under, understand the disconnect between, you know, looking someone in the face who really does fear for their life and saying, oh, it's okay, I don't care about it. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Do you still believe the system works? I think the system works and that it was built against us from the beginning. So in that way, yes. People really underestimated the system of white supremacy. I've been really thinking about that a lot lately, today especially. I wasn't expecting this, but at the same time, I said, if anything, this is just like a festering wound that's going to come to head. And uh, I guess I was right, and it did. So I don't like being right in this instance, but now maybe with this outcome, we'll listen to people on the ground, we'll listen to marginalized people and center their voices and say, this is what we got from what we, you know, you reap what you sow, essentially. So, so the really tiny silver lining is the unity continues because the, this makes it really apparent what the opposition is. In my optimistic mindset, I hope so. Personally, for myself, I, I when I say this, I speak for myself and nobody else. But I, I really didn't appreciate Hillary Clinton. I don't think she listened to us when we said we had an issue. I was originally a Bernie supporter. I feel like if we were given an opportunity for our opinion to be respected and valued and really considered as important, maybe things would have come out differently. I've been telling my friends, it feels like those apocalypse movies where the scientist is like, it's coming, it's coming, and nobody listens to them until it happens. Do you still believe the system works? I think the system works in that it was built against us from the beginning. So in that way, yes. What we're trying to do is dismantle that system, the current system, and create spaces where all people... The voters, I think, that voted for Trump had to have been, I like to say, either white Latinos or, I consider, I mean, people might get offended by this, but self-hating black and brown Latinos. I feel like if you vote against your interests... You don't either love yourself or you don't understand your history and your place, your your political identity, and that comes with education too. So, I mean, reaching those folks, whatever their reasons are, we'll have to get there too. It's going to take beyond our bubble to recognize the work nationwide. When I started this work, I'd always say white people, white people this, white people that, white people this, and uh, my generalization was... Uh, misguided, but the sentiment that we need everybody on board to fight now, I mean, we're obviously seeing the whole white supremacist structure come back to power. The Ku Klux Klan is marching in North Carolina today in celebration and to say, like, it's 2016 and here we are having the same discussions, the same fears that I thought, you know, so much blood and energy was spent on. Then there's this weird thing where people are shocked because they didn't really see the support. And then it it kind of like fuels distrust. Absolutely. I mean, I've been in a mix between being really kind to everybody today, like holding doors longer. I saw a little girl and her mom this morning and I like talked to them and I was just like, 
you know, they were white, and I was just like, I'm not going to blame you for this. But at the same time, it's it's between a feeling of this and then a feeling of, well, it is kind of your fault if we're going by statistics. Like, which, how do how can we tell good white people between people who are complicit with white supremacy and continuing that that violence against marginalized groups? I never ask these kind of questions because I think they're gimmicky. But for some reason, I want to ask this. If you could talk to yourself in, like, five years, what would you say? I'll be 20. I'll be 30 years old. Wow. Um, 30-year-old me. Uh, Wow. Hopefully, um, 30-year-old me, that you are the person that you fought to be that you have helped paved a way for the people you love the most. Um, I'm gonna cry. To have space and to be safe. Um, that we... <sighs> to know that they can come to me and I will always fight for them. Um, I guess I'm just hurt because of how hopeless people feel right now. (sighs) Like, to see my people hurt specifically. My trans friends, my queer friends, my Muslim friends. I can't, I mean, I fear for my life every day, but in a way that deep is just, I'm terrified. (sighs) I guess now is the time to really forge that fire and say, in five years, we're going to make progress, like we haven't seen before and if anything um, Trump is the catalyst that pushed us there and this last leg of white supremacy that they're scratching and biting and clawing to uphold um, will just hopefully disintegrate I know I know it's weird but I keep thinking of Lord of the Rings and I keep seeing like all the battles they lost until they ultimately won so hopefully I mean five years I want to run for city council by then so hopefully I'll be there and we'll be protecting San Antonio and San Antonians and always in the face of adversity we're really shown what we're made of and uh, it's okay to cry I have to tell myself that too because this is the first time I've cried about it. Um, It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to be angry. Um, Our anger is a gift. And with that anger, that doesn't mean bitterness. We can't be bitter. We can't let the world harden what makes us so soft and special and powerful. So I feel like as much as we want to be angry or bitter, uh, we can't. We just have to process it and let it go. Um, ask for strength from each other. We need to come back into our communities and put the economy there. We need to fight back against racist policing and judicial systems. I mean, it's all things we've been fighting for already, so if just more people see this Trump presidency as a wake-up call that they didn't before, you get to the bottom, it's only up from there, right? So... It stopped raining, and the sun came out a few hours before we left San Antonio. I was feeling and thinking so much that the rules of journalism do not allow me to say in this episode. And maybe that's a good thing. You need space to come to your own conclusions. There's one thing that people might agree on, though, that this is a moment of clarity for the U.S. 
The moment when Americans realize how difficult it is to govern a democratic country when its people can't agree on what the truth is, and which values are the most important to uphold, and now Americans decide what to do about that. Anti-Trump protests are happening all over the country. Some people say hate crimes are already on the rise. Others say we're just more sensitive to those crimes, so we're looking at them and publicizing them. Trump is building a cabinet that so far looks very predominantly white, meaning the U.S. may swing from having the most diverse administration ever to the least. And on streets and in grocery aisles, people are speculating about strangers they examine out of the corner of their eye. Folks are wondering just how much they don't know about the people around them, wondering what happens now. Post your thoughts on the Otherhood Facebook page or tweet them to me at Rupa Shanoi. Thanks for listening. Good luck processing what's happened in your own way. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been Otherhood from PRI. Субтитры